You're listening to a sermon on the Mission Ridge Church Podcast. Hang around after the message for more information about Mission Ridge Church. Sermon notes for this message or any of our other messages can be found through our website, missionridge.church. Thank you for joining us today. We hope you enjoy. Well, we are continuing our series called Legacy Continued. And this is a Genesis series. Uh, we, we've taken uh, a number of swings at Genesis. Uh, we, we started uh, a little more than about a year and a half ago, and we went through the first what, 11 chapters, I think it was. And then, and then uh, we took a break, and then we came back and looked at the life of Abraham and uh, talked about what is God looking for in the partner that he pursues. Like God wants to do something in our midst, and, and what, what does that partner look like? And we, and we looked through the lens of uh, Abraham and his stories, that are in the scriptures. And so we spent a number of weeks looking at the next 12 chapters. And now we are talking about that legacy, that spiritual legacy that, it, that Abraham was given and how are his ancestors, how are Isaac and Esau and Jacob, how are they choosing to live out that spiritual legacy that they were given? And what does that mean for us as we live out our spiritual legacy? Last week, we took a look at a, a few snapshots of, of Esau and Jacob's life. These are twins that were born seconds apart, minutes, seconds apart. Esau is a doer. His, his name implies that he is a doer, that he gets things done. He's got this physical strength, and uh, he's a manly man, and he kills things with his hands and feeds the family. And, and, uh, and his dad really resonates with, with Esau. Jacob, on the other hand, seems to come in second place when it comes to his brother. He probably lost every arm wrestling match. And, and every time they grab arrows, well, I'm not sure Jacob ever grabbed an arrow. He, he liked to stay in the tents. He, he was more, he had this internal strength. He was more cerebral. He was more of a thinker than, than his brother. His brother had a physical strength that his dad valued, but he had more of an internal strength that his mom valued. And so that was the first snapshot that we looked at. And we saw that this story has a story of favorites and how favoritism plays into families is, is always kind of tricky, maybe, maybe always messy. And then the next snapshot we take a look at, we see Esau comes in from the field and he, he's been out and he's been hunting, but this time he doesn't bring anything from the field and, and his brother is cooking up a stew and he says, give me some of that stew of yours. And he says, well, have I got a proposition for you, <laughs> right? Um, and so they trade a birthright, the behor, the firstborn, the one who's supposed to carry the family values. Uh, they trade that for a bowl of soup. And we see 
Esau maybe has, uh, is a little apathetic towards this family heritage that is supposed to be carried on. Maybe he's a little too busy with, with his plans and his purposes, the things that he desires to uh, focus in on what the family heritage, this spiritual heritage means. And, uh, and Jacob, he sees this apathy in his brother and, and he, did, he wants to do something about it. Now, maybe the thing that he does here isn't the best, um, but he's doing something. And then in the next snapshot, we see that, that Isaac has a blessing. And 23 times in one chapter, we're told about this conversation. This conversation is about a blessing. It's a blessing, blessing, blessing. You know, there's uh, the word for blessing is used 99 times in Genesis. That's, that's a lot. Um, but there's no other chapter that mentions blessing more than 10 times. And so this story is the preeminent story about blessing. And Esau asks his dad, do you only have one blessing? And I don't think it was just Esau that has that question. I think God has that question too. Do you really only have one blessing? The spiritual heritage, the call on this family is to be a blessing to the whole earth, to, to all the nations, to, to all the people, but within our own family. Do you really only have one blessing? It's a great question. And I wonder what Esau is going to do with that. Like, does that question haunt him a little bit? Does that question make him pause and, and reflect and, and, and even think about maybe some of his life's assumptions? Because I think we've all had those moments in our life where, where someone asks us a great question and all of a sudden we're, we're like, oh, <laughs> I hadn't considered that. Let me think about that. And so we're going to finish up Genesis chapter 27, then jump into Genesis chapter 28 today. And so we see these words. So Esau bore a grudge against Jacob because the blessing with which his father had blessed him. And Esau said to himself, the days of, of mourning for my father are near. Then I will kill my brother Jacob. So Jacob steals the blessing that Esau was supposed to receive. Esau hears about the words that got shared with his brother, and he is not happy. Now, when the words of her elder son Esau were reported to Rebekah, she sent and called her youngest son Jacob and said to him, Behold, your brother Esau is consoling himself concerning you by planning to kill you. Now, therefore, my son, obey my voice and arise, flee to Haran, to my brother Laban. Stay with him for a few days, just, just a few days, mind you, uh, until your brother's fury subsides, until your brother's anger against you subsides, and he forgets what you did to him. All right, raise your hand if you're a sibling. Raise your hand if you have brothers and sisters. Do we forget what our brother or sister has done to us? Never. <laughs> this <laughs> mom here is maybe uh, she may be um, thinking. 
seeing life through rose-colored glasses. I don't know. <laughs> she might be a little off here. Um, he may have within a few days, 20 years, maybe 20. Um, she said, then I will send and get you from there. Why should I be bereaved of you both in one day? Why should I be bereaved when I lose my husband, but then I also lose my son because my other son takes his life? There's a little bit of Cain and Abel, you know, that story seems to be kind of creeping in to the story. And, and if the Lord is talking to Esau, he may be saying to him, sin desires you, but you must master it. Rebecca said to Isaac, I am tired of living because of the daughters of Heth. If Jacob takes a wife from the daughters of Heth, like these from the daughters of the land, what good will my life be to me? All right, so, so Rebecca has this plan. She's going to send her son away to protect him, but also so that he comes back with a wife that can help him live out this family legacy. This is uh, a theme that we need to pay attention to here in chapter 27 and 28. Uh, for some reason, the daughters of Canaan just don't match up to the expectations of Isaac and Rebecca. Could be a lot of reasons for that. Could just be, you know what? They're not our people. They're, 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 they're different people. But we do know that Abraham sent a servant to Padaram to find a bride for Isaac. He sends a servant thousands of miles, actually was hundreds of miles away to where his family lived to find a bride. And, and when the servant got there, he prays this crazy prayer. And he says, he says, God, send me a woman that will not only give me water, but water my camels. Rebecca shows up and she says, hey, please have some water. And then she says, let me water your camels. Now, apparently uh, there's 10 camels and each camel is going to take about 10 trips to the watering hole. A hundred trips. And, and apparently the servant just sat back and watched this take place. He's like, huh, 22 times. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> 23, like he doesn't even help. <laughs> he wants to know, does Rebecca have the fortitude, the chutzpah, the tenacity, the graciousness to go to that watering hole for a stranger that she's never met before? This is a core value for Abraham, apparently that was part of their family. Like this was a spiritual value that, that, that was generations old. And for some reason, Isaac and Rebecca are not seeing that in the wives of their elder son. And they don't want that for, for Jacob. There's, there's other problems with with wives and 
whatnot, um, this story creates some problems that culturally we don't quite understand. We'll talk about that in footnotes. But Rebecca has this plan and she's going to send her son away. And so in Genesis 28, we see these words. So Isaac called Jacob and blessed him and charged him and said to him, you shall not take a wife from the daughters of Canaan. Arise, go to Pedaram, to the house of Bethuel, your mother's father. And from there, take to yourself a wife from the daughter of Laban, your mother's brother. Now pay attention to what he says next. May God Almighty bless you and make you fruitful and multiply you. And may you become a company of peoples. May he also give you the blessing of Abraham to you and to your descendants with you, that you may possess the land of your, of your sojournings, which God gave to Abraham. Then Isaac sent Jacob away, and he went to Padamaram, to Laban, the son of Bethuel, the Aramean, the brother of Rebekah, the mother of Jacob and Esau. Wow. Did you hear that blessing? Did you hear the blessing that Isaac gives his son. If, if this is the first blessing you hear of Isaac, you're, you're thinking, he's pretty good at this blessing game. Like he's got this figured out. But he's got two other blessings that maybe aren't that great. Maybe it takes three times to do this right for Isaac. Maybe third time's the charm. And I think what we see here is that, that that question, do you only have one blessing, caused Isaac to think, caused Isaac to wrestle. Because could he give this blessing to multiple sons? I think he could. I think he could give this blessing multiple times. The, the very first blessing he gives is like rule and dominate and conquer and destroy. Like, like how's, it, how's this connected to the family heritage, Isaac? How's this connected to being a blessing to all nations? How's this connected to our family values? I think the first blessing was a, was a mistake. And the second blessing was worse than the first. But third time's a charm. Isaac learns from his mistakes. He's roughly right, like, like you and I are. He, he, he makes mistakes. We see these snapshots of his life, and, and it, we can honestly go, ah, not a great showing there. Not a great showing there. Oh, wait. Nice recovery. This is a nice recovery for Isaac. I wonder what Esau will do. Now Esau saw that Isaac had blessed Jacob and sent him away to Padaram to take a, to himself a wife from there. And that when he blessed him, he charged him saying, you shall not take a wife from the daughters of Canaan. And that Jacob obeyed his father and his mother and God to, gone to Padaram. So 
knowing the end of 27, what do we expect Esau to do here? Do we expect Esau to do something redemptive or, or stick to the plan that he had? Because he, he watches his father give a second blessing to his brother. Is that another knife in the gut? Is that another turning of the knife? Or is it different this time? So Esau saw that the daughters of Canaan displeased his father, Isaac. In Hebrew, was evil in the eyes of his father. And Esau went to Ishmael and married beside the wives that he had, Mahalath, the daughter of Ishmael, Abraham's son, the sister of Naboth. Now, when I, when I read this years ago, I thought Esau saw what happened with his brother and was like, well, oh, you don't like Canaanite women? Fine, I'll go marry another Canaanite woman. That's not what happens here. Jacob goes one direction to marry a relative because of the family values, Esau can't go that direction because, eh, that's problematic. Like, I'm still mad, probably shouldn't go there. But he goes to another relative, someone who values, that carries the same values of Abraham. He goes to Ishmael because he recognizes that he can't live out his part of this family heritage by partnering with the Canaanite women. He marries two women, and the marrying of those two women really kind of reflects the, the first two blessings that Isaac gives. Like, ah, not great. Not great choices here. Third time's charm. Third time's charm. Now, again, culturally, we don't quite get this. We don't quite understand marrying two women, let alone three women. <laughs> uh, we'll talk about that in footnotes. Um, but Esau is starting to move beyond his apathy when it comes to living out the values of the family. And we may see by the end of this story, Esau do something very redemptive, something that Jesus will refer to that helps us understand that Esau is actually moving in a positive direction when it comes to living out that spiritual legacy that Isaac is supposed to pass down to his boys. Then Jacob departed from Beersheba and went to Toward Haran. He came to a certain place. In Hebrew, it's an unremarkable place. I think about the, the phrase about Jesus that had no stately form. He, people weren't drawn to Jesus because of, of his looks, kind of like me. Um, this, this is the same thing. This area here is, is like you're not drawn to this place by its beauty, its so gorgeous, that's not, it's unremarkable. 
And he spent the night there because the sun had set. And he took one of the stones of the place and put it under his head and lay in that place. Oh, sounds like a tough, sounds like tough messing, doesn't it? Like you're, you're sleeping on a rock. Not a good time. And he had a dream. I bet he did. <laughs> bet he had a sleepless night. And behold, a ladder was set on the earth with its top reaching to heaven. The author seems to want to connect this to another story where something was built on the ground and it reached to heaven. I want to go back a few chapters to a tower of Babel. It's the same language. And behold, the angels of God were ascending. They were ascending. They were climbing the ladder. And they were descending on it. By the way, where did they start if they had to ascend and then descend? They were here amongst us. And behold, the Lord stood above and said, I am the Lord, the God of your father, Abraham, and the God of Isaac, the land which you lie, I will give to you and to your descendants. Your descendants also will be like the dust of the earth, and you will spread out to the west and to the east and to the north and to the south, and in you and in your descendants shall all the families of the earth be blessed. Behold, I am with you and will keep you wherever you go and will bring you back to this land, for I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised." And then Jacob awoke from his sleep and said, surely the Lord is in this place, this unremarkable place, except for the fact that the Lord is in it. Surely the Lord is in this place and I did not know it. He was afraid he said, how awesome is this place? There's none, uh, this is none other than the house of God. And this is the gate of heaven. All right. We got a story of threes, don't we? Isaac gives his third blessing. Esau takes his third wife. Jacob gets his third blessing. But this time, it's a blessing from God. Third time's a charm. Jacob longed for a blessing. Have you ever longed for something, especially when it came to your relationship with God, have you ever longed for it? And it's a long season and, and, and people are like, oh, you got it. You, you, your dad gave you a blessing. I'm like, you had to wear, you know, sheepskin. Jacob's like, no, 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 no. That blessing wasn't mine. 
That was my brother's. Every word wasn't meant for me. And even the second blessing from, from his father. Can you imagine receiving a blessing from your dad, hoping that he doesn't die giving you the blessing because you're looking over your shoulder, waiting for your brother to show up? Can you even emotionally receive that blessing when you know that you've created such a mess within your family? At least the part that you participated in. But this blessing, this blessing leaves Jacob awestruck. And it's way bigger. Like all he wanted was a blessing. And, and I think we've all been there where we wanted something from, from the Lord. We wanted to see something take place. And we tried some things and, and out of our ignorance or out of our foolishness or maybe out of rebellion, we tried to get it some other way. Even a godly desire. Uh, my friend was sharing with me this week. He knows who he is, um, but I forgot to ask him. So I'm going to share the story without identifying who that is. He may jump up and down. Who knows? We'll see what happens. But uh, all he wanted was, was a nice house, nice cars. Like he, that's what he wanted. But he was selling things illegally to get there. And it all imploded. And today he has all that through the Lord, through the Lord's provision. And it's way better than he could have imagined. I love what the Lord says here. And and he really wants him to know it. I will not leave you. How important are those words when you've been looking over your shoulder Worried that your dad's going to die and that your brother is going to meet you in the field. I will not leave you. That may be the best part of this blessing. The Lord says, I will not leave you. You know that we have that same blessing? Do you know we have those same words? That if we live out this legacy, this spiritual legacy that's been passed on for since Christ 2,000 years, right? Like it, it keeps getting passed down generation after generation, faithfulness after faithfulness. And we have to figure out what our faithfulness is going to look like. I have to figure out how I'm going to help my son, my sons, my children live out their legacy but you have to figure out how you're going to live out your legacy. We have the same promise. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you. And lo, I am with you. And believe me, I hang on to this promise. I am with you always. I'm with you always, 
even to the end of the age. You know how many times the enemy has accused me of being alone? Of being on my own? Of going down the wrong road? (laughs) Isaac did his learning. Esau did his learning. Did Jacob do his learning in order for God to show up? Or was God just gracious in this moment? We get accused of being failures. We get accused for everything that we've ever said and ever done. Like the spiritual enemy, I don't know about you guys, but my brain can can remind me of all kinds of things from this last week. Let alone the 40 plus years of following Christ. And when things don't go the way I think they, the, God intends, I am with you always, says the Lord. He's with you always. Will you have the chutzpah to keep going, to stay on task, to not let your past, don't let your mistakes, or even your current circumstances where your head's laying on a rock tell you that you're in the wrong place? Will we live out this legacy so that another generation will be able to say, we need to be faithful too? See, we're going to see a transition over, over the next few weeks. We're going to see the story was about Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, but it's going to become about a people. It's going to become about a nation. It starts out with a seed and it becomes a kingdom. Individually, we have responsibility to carry on this legacy, but also corporately we have responsibility. And by the end of Genesis, you're going to see a whole family trying to figure out what this means to live out this legacy. And you and I, together, we have to figure this out. How are we going to live out this legacy? How are we going to live this out? So Jacob rose early in the morning and took the stone they had put his put under his head and set it up as a pillar and poured oil on its top. He called the name of that place Baal, house of the Lord. However, previously the name of the city had been Lutz. Then Jacob made a vow saying, if God will be with me and will keep me on this journey that I take and will give me food to eat and garments to wear and I return to my father's house in safety, then the Lord will be my God. This stone which I have set up as a pillar will be God's house and all that you give me, I will surely give a tenth to you. (laughs) I jokingly called this the most unspiritual prayer in all the scriptures. I look at this again. If God will be with me, like he's a Santa Claus in the sky, (laughs) and will keep me on this journey that I take, 
and will give me food to eat and garments to wear, and I return to my father's house in safety. Like, man, if God just does everything that I need, he'll be my God. You know what? God can handle spiritual immature people. (laughs) We all start out spiritually immature. And we will see this prayer change. We'll see in his next prayer some maturity. We'll see some growth. It hasn't quite happened yet. He does have this part figured out, and, 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 and we're not even told why, but he knows that he is the tithe. He probably knows this because of, because of his grandfather. When, before Abraham's name was changed, while he was still known as Abram, he gave a tithe to, to Melchizedek. And somehow Jacob understands that tithing is part of the equation. Now, in my 30-plus years of tithing, I didn't do it as a kid. I don't know why. (laughs) I didn't know. Uh, In my 30-plus years of tithing, here's what I found. I got to experience my God over and over and over again. And so I'm grateful for the opportunity to tithe. There's no one to check on me to see if I'm tithing. I'm the lead pastor, right? Um, I guess there's people. I'm accountable to our board. If they wanted to know, they could take a look. I tithe not because someone can take a look. I tithe because I want to experience my God. It's one of the many ways that I get to experience him. Worship next week is another way that I get to experience him. Coming together with you guys and seeing God in you is another way I get to experience him. Discipleship is another way that I get to experience him. When I go to our care group or our life transforming group and hear God in you and and what he says through you amazes me over and over and over again. That's the life that I want to live, of experiencing him. And I think that's ultimately what what Jacob is saying here. I just want to experience you. I want to experience you in the big things and then the little things. And my part is this simple response. God, I want you with me. And in every way that I see you with me, I'm going to give back just so you know that I see it happening. Like I need food to eat. I need shelter. I need clothing. You guys want me to wear clothing. Trust me. <laughs> we need clothing. We need all these things. I just want to experience you, I think, is what Jacob is saying in this. Like we experience God when we first come to know him, but are we willing to put ourselves in position where we have to experience him again and again and again and again? Or are we content with that one experience of saying yes? You are my God. But now I'm going to go about doing my own thing. Jacob says, that's not enough for me. This, this experience of coming to know you, and, and you guys have seen it. People come and claim Christ for their Savior for the first time. There's an excitement in them. 
They were on fire for the Lord. And then life gets busy. And where did that excitement go? Where did that fire go? We're seeing a story of a father and two brothers. They make mistakes, but they they learn from their mistakes. They're starting to own their part of the legacy. Isaac continues to own his part, but he's trying to pass this legacy on to his kids. And and Isaac doesn't always get it right. And, and, And isn't that true of fathers? Don't we sometimes get the legacy wrong when it comes to passing it on to our kids? Isn't that some of our greatest heartache? The things that we say and do that causes our kids to question things about God. I think Isaac really wrestled over his son's question. Do you really only have one blessing, Father? And then we start to see a chutzpah And Esau and Jacob, for the first time, calls on God to be his own God because he comes face to face with him. Three implications this week. Three implications. One, when we blame others, it leads to death. When we honestly evaluate ourselves, it leads to life. You see, Isaac could have blamed Jacob. You'd be like, I'm not giving that kid no more blessings. He stole the first one. He could have blamed him. I think Isaac instead looked at himself. As a leader, I have to do that. As a father, I have to do that. How have I contributed to this situation? if I'm a leader, if I'm a father. Esau could have blamed Jacob. Like, he stole my blessing. He's the reason why our family is a mess. But Esau seems to own his part too. It's like, you know what? I kind of, I added to this. I got my part to figure out. No one's excusing Jacob by the way, maybe Rebecca, who knows? Um, but Isaac and Esau, they're not excusing Jacob for his part. They're just owning up to their part. And Jacob, he could have blamed that dang prophecy. Have you ever blamed God for what you just did? God, if you hadn't put me in this position, I wouldn't have had to do that. I've done that. In most interpersonal conflicts, there are at least two parties that own a part. I'll say this, that's not always true. That's not always true. There are cases where there's only one guilty part, and we have to be so careful not to uh, victim blame. We have to be so, so very careful 
But when we blame others, it leads to death. We only experience life when we honestly evaluate ourselves and are willing to deal with our part. So some next steps, or a next step for this implication. Think of someone you are in conflict with, evaluate your part, and talk with someone close about what you learn. If you're in conflict, if there's a family conflict, if there's a conflict at work, if there's a conflict within the community, within your neighborhood, what's your part? Have that conversation. And maybe your part is simply to seek healing. Maybe, maybe you've been offended and you just need to, you, you need to seek healing. You've ignored it because of the conversations that swirl around it. But you need to seek healing. You may own the smallest part of the situation. I think it's when we own the biggest part that is, that's the hardest. Like when I'm 75% wrong in this situation and I have to own that. I kind of like it when it's 49-51 or 51-49. I kind of like that, you know, a little, little more even ground. I own some, you own some, let's work this out. But when I own a lot of it or the majority of it or all of it, am I willing to face up to that? and learn from it. Implication number two, God is big enough to include your mistakes in his plan. God is big enough to include your mistakes in his plan, his eternal plan. You know why? Well, he's, he's, he's always big enough. He's willing to work with us even though we are roughly right. He's willing to work with us because he has nothing else to work with. All he has is a bunch of knuckleheads. Can I have an amen? <laughs> That's all he's got. It's imperfect people. Jacob steals a blessing. God blesses him anyway. God was always going to bless him. The blessing that Jacob receives was always going to be his. I'm convinced of that. The stealing of it wasn't necessary. So a couple next steps. One, put yourself in position to listen to God. You've made some mistakes. Put yourself in position to listen to God. Go, grow through your mistakes. Grow through them. Become more like Christ. That is our goal. We should look more and more and more like Christ because we're learning from those mistakes, those breakdowns. And that's why, that's why I do care group. That's why I do life transforming group. That's why I want to be in discipleship. And discipleship is not a one-way street. I've never been in a discipleship relationship where I didn't learn something through the other person. Another next step. Don't let your mistakes stop you. Keep moving. Keep moving. 
we have this, this value, this roughly right value, core value as a church. God uses imperfect people with imperfect methods and imperfect theology. In other words, what we can say about God will never say it all perfectly. While this is not an excuse for compromise, we, will, we also embrace the fact that we will make mistakes and get things wrong. Now, this takes some real balance, guys. We don't want to excuse compromise. We don't want to excuse it. We will make mistakes. We will make mistakes. We will get things wrong. We value doing the best we can. We won't allow imperfections to prevent us from moving forward with God's mission. I have made so many blunders in my, in my military career, just as a just a, as a leader of other human beings, as a husband, as a father, as your pastor, as a person who felt called by God to, to, to do ministry. So many blunders. I got to grow from. I got to learn, but I also got to keep moving. So do you. So do you. Implication number three, God's blessings are coming. Will you trust him? God's blessings are coming. Will you trust him? And I'm not talking about a prosperity gospel. Like this isn't, if you trust God, then, then your bank account will always be full and your health will always be perfect. And, you know, it's not a prosperity gospel. I think of the end of the Lord's prayer. Thine is the kingdom and power and glory. If you're living for God's kingdom, for through his power and for his glory, God's blessings are coming, but it's going to be on his timetable. It's going to be for his purposes. We don't get to change any of that. Not one of them. And it's so that his name is made great. Not mine. You guys may remember me for... 10 years after I pass. After that, it's amazing how quickly people forgot about Sergeant Croyle after I retired. I was talking about Sergeant Croyle. <laughs> I did great things in my mind. <laughs> I'm not here to live for my glory. If God's name is made great, That's worth living for. So next step, identify where you have not trusted God. Where, where is that? What has he been calling you to? And you've had a but. You've had a reason. You had an excuse. You had an experience. You had a curse that someone said to you, you had a mistake, you had a failure, and you let those things be bigger than God's call in your life, 
God's purpose for you, the passion, the thing inside of you that wants to live, that will help bring God's kingdom crashing into earth, but you're, you're going to let those things get in the way. Identify where you have not trusted God. Make a plan to move forward in faith. Trust that God will be with you always, even to the end of the age. Trust that he'll be there. You may need to just start praying again. Maybe you haven't prayed about that desire, that, that vision, that, that longing, that spiritual longing, that your part in God's kingdom. Maybe you need to pray again. Maybe you just need to do the last thing that God revealed to you. Maybe he told you what to do and you just haven't started, you haven't taken a step yet. Maybe you have big visions and you just need to be faithful with little today. Maybe God's giving you a big vision. You don't know how to get from here to there. Good news is God's going to have to show up. My dad used to say, if we could see to the end of it, God doesn't have to show up. Be faithful with the little. Be faithful with the peace that God has put in front of you today. See, we have this spiritual legacy that we need to live out here in Missoula. And together, we're figuring out what our part is. But make no bones about it. Discipleship is where we get to experience our God. Jesus will be with us if we just endeavor to do our part of discipleship. Thanks for listening to the Mission Ridge Church Podcast. Be sure to subscribe and share if you enjoyed this message. Mission Ridge is a church focused on relational discipleship and located in Missoula, Montana. If you are in the Missoula area, we would love to have you come say hello. For more information about Mission Ridge, connect with us on Instagram, Facebook, or online at missionridge.church. If you would like to partner with us financially, you can give securely online at missionridge.church. We'll catch you on the flip side. Thanks for tuning in.